You haven't had a full day of work yet. <laughs> or a, f- a full day of a three-year-old. That's correct. I'm alive and ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for bed. We can go to bed if you want. We'll just call it. <laughs> okay. So we should start with the uh, follow-up. Which I don't we should have. start with the follow-up. But you've got it, We could start with the intro. Nobody starts with the intro. That's crazy okay, talk. Sorry, not cool. That's crazy talk. We have feedback in regards to getting the current location. Yeah, we discussed some of the complexities around asking users for permission to get their location before or you might actually need it or yeah. not wanting to put users off by asking for it when you don't need it, things like that. And actually, like this kind of all opens up various different areas that I've kind of been thinking about over the last week whilst listening and editing and doing all those things. Um, so the, the particular feedback, it was in regards to using a postcode to get current location. Right. Suggesting that you could use a postcode to get a basic basic uh, location so that you could, um, you know, for things like searching for a, a bar in relation to Clip. Yeah. Which, all, which works fine as long as you're not talking internationally because that becomes problematic. Have you looked up? Postcodes, international postcodes, because some of them are crazy. Yeah. Have you seen the ones from London? Yeah. So they've got like numbers and letters, right? Yeah. Some of them, there are, you know there that, ones yeah. that are like da- letters, dash letters. So I think there's actually a system. They to pretty the much ones. nails it to your house. Like it's that accurate. Oh, wow. Really? The postcode is basically like you and your neighbor. That's pretty cool. That's crazy. From what I've seen. And anyway. I think there's actually a system to it. It's like a spiral. It starts in central London and goes like the letters to, to do with whether you're north, south, east, or west. And then the numbers start small in the center and get big as you spiral out of central London. Yeah. And it also, it's kind of like, I don't know, your postcode almost defines how rich you are as well. Oh, cool. More easily. There you which go. is, so, I don't know if that's good or not. I, I was, uh, when, when I lived over there, I was at W23TA. And was that, is that good? I don't know. That's when it gets out. So that's when the number dissolves a bit. But, you know, you got like SW1, SW2, and they're sort of like ranks. Oh, right. Because SW1's the very middle, and then SW2 is slightly out of it. And then, yeah. you know, it just goes on from there. There you go. Right. So postcodes postcodes can be good for Australian apps because they're just like four digits. American apps, they're just five. I feel like once you start going internationally, it starts becoming a lot more kind of complex. Right. And I'm not aware of maybe there is... I'm sure there's a great service out there for giving you international address information, like converting a postcode in whatever country you're in yeah. to a lap long. I'm sure there is. Google would do it, wouldn't they? Google doesn't even show you your postcode. Yep. And you just, yeah, but they still know them. Reverse geocode. I'm sure but you if could... you're trying to use this for an app, so yeah. let's, 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 if you punch a postcode into, a, into an app as a, you know, this is where I am or this is where I live, or whatever, to get, you know, what are the closest bars that use use Clip to me? Um, that works within Australia, and it works within kind of other areas, but you start getting, kind of, it, it gets more complex for the user to enter. Yeah. Like, they start having to enter, like, some of them are 10 digits, like, 10 characters yeah. long. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, that's, oh, I mean, yeah, but that's it's kind like of a, crazy. It's a backup. Yeah. I reckon you do it, use my current location, or enter a postcode. That's pretty common these days. You see that a lot on websites. One of the things I like about the idea of using a postcode is it allows people to specify a location other than the one that they're currently in. Right. So I think yeah. a lot of the time people do 
apps that want to respond to location and assume that the thing that you the location you want to know about is the one you're at whereas it yeah. mightn't be the case well see in the past what i've done um in in developing mapping based apps is not even defining it just by postcode but allowing just a general search of location like place names yeah so you know yep. canberra or uh or london big place oh that's i've got some feedback as well so i tried to go to ns london it's like going to dub dub dc oh is it you have to like you have to camp out for tickets to the damn thing and i missed by like half an hour oh that's crazy you have to write some bot that automatically scrapes the website and detects changes. You know, apparently, I've been told that's what people do. <laughs> right. You should uh, start Arrival in this London. Well, there's Swift London. Yeah, there you go. You should just go so to that. So that's almost... I bet, I bet a, no one goes to And that. that one's very easy to get into. Yeah. Why would anyone go to a Swift meetup? Well, to be honest, um, <laughs> it looks like it gets just as many people at it, but they must have a bigger venue or something uh, because it isn't a cutoff. I'm not sure. Anyway, I just... Mm clicked yes i'll go and that was it cool and you haven't been not yet it hasn't been yet we actually managed to have one while like the other day i was surprised yeah jake you actually did something i know (laughs) i know i organized one there was a a presentation and everything (laughs) that's official i like it yep very official was it you jake yeah it was were you presenting on beacons (laughs) strangely enough i gave the audience a a option of what topic they wanted me to present on and no one nominated beacons (sighs) Everybody <laughs> talked about auto layout, and then I tried to tell him he was wrong. Yeah, we ha- we currently have a, well, we have a bet going. Of course, I'm not wrong. He's wrong. I'm, <laughs> he's totally wrong. So Jelly and I currently have a bet. I don't think it's possible to get a collection view to page, so you can swipe one page at a time, and it comes to rest on a page boundary, whilst showing you a preview yep. of the previous and the next page. I take it the bet is you can't. You know, it has to be just a collection view. You can't stick another scroll view on top or something. Yes. yes, that's right. Yeah, I've got to do okay. it with just a collection view, uh, and set like in collection view cells. Because this is this is a, just a problem that I'm continually fighting. I think that it comes down to the fact that the collection view is a scroll view, and scroll views when they're set to page, the width of the page where they come to rest is always the width of the view itself. Yeah, you can't manage. There's no property for page size. It's just the width of the frame. My thinking had originally been that when you use content insets on the scroll view, that that would change the page yep. size because it makes sense that if you inset the content, on not using the header inset, header insets or anything like that, yep. using actual scroll view content inset, uh, it should change the page size to fit that inset area, right? Apparently not. Apparently that doesn't is not how it works, which is which doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to work around that. I'm allowed to use code. That's that is allowed in this. Yeah, bet. it doesn't have to just be storyboards. So, so I'm going to write myself some code that that gets around that. So to date, the only solution I found for this, I found two solutions depending on whether you're talking about a scroll view or a collection view. With a scroll view, um, I've just said, I've set it so that it's visible that the frame of the view itself is basically the width of a page where I want it to come to rest. And I want it to be. I want content to be visible a bit outside that. So I've told the scroll view not to clip to bounds. Disabled clip to bounds. Yeah. And then I've had to do stuff to make sure it still responds to touches that start outside. Because yeah, the old way was inset the collection view, or it wasn't a collection view. This was just like scroll a scroll view. view. Yeah. But you that insert it from the edges. 
yep. then you put another view on top and do hit test and then pass that touch through to the scroll view and turn off clips to bounce. And that doesn't work with collection views because collection views um, reuse cells. So as soon as the cell right. scrolls outside of the bounds of the view, even if you've gone. told the collection view not to clip to bounce, it's gone because it's reused for something else. So with a collection view, you have to make sure that uh, you know, you've know you got to have it at its visible width. So the only way I've been able to get it to work with collection views is to put a scroll view over the top and to do the gesture, you know, the paging on the scroll view and to have a scroll view delegate that responds to scroll view did scroll which and tells crazy. the collection view to change its offset, which is crazy. Yep. I agree. This is all a horrible hack around the fact that Apple haven't provided a page width in Hon- Honestly, I think, I think that the content inset is supposed to change the page size, but it doesn't for whatever reason. I think that might be a bug. I think that might actually be a bug. Okay. We, were you going to use the, your, one yeah, of your... Yeah, I'm going to use one of my des- DTS incidents. Maybe bring that up with them. To try and find Apple's official word on this. But we have a bet now that Jelly Reckons he can do it. I, I'm going to try and do it in the current state. and. Uh, so our next episode, we will have follow-up to see who was right. Indeed. Indeed. I'm excited. I, I so want to be wrong because I'm sick of having to do these dodgy hacks to get my collection views to show little peaks of what's on the previous and next page. But um, I also kind of like being right, <laughs> if I have to be, if I'm being honest. Sure, why not? Why not? So uh, let's, you know, maybe let's get back to our follow-up. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. Yeah, yeah. good. So we were talking about postcodes <laughs> back like 10 minutes ago. I, I think I've said all I can say about that anyway, because I think there are, I think, I mean, it's a, it isn't, it's an option. I think maybe just having a general search and using like, um, yeah, you type in whatever you want, an address. You can type in whatever or... you want, yeah. And so you can just type in your own address or your suburb or your city or whatever. whatever. I still postcode. am frustrated because it won't work for my specific example of a an iBeacon app where I only care about your location if you're at the location that I have beacons installed. And in this case, there's only one location that has them. It's not like they're all around the world and I'm going to track through You know you can the actually world. change the description. You can set the description. You can, but it's still... Um, and you have to still, now. You do have to. Yeah. But it still doesn't, like, the permission that users end up being asked to agree to is to allow this app to monitor your location in the background. Yeah, and then they're reminded. What doing. We already talked okay. about this last episode. That is what it's doing. Okay. Hypothetically, if I had beacons deployed all around the world and I had one in every street, then yes, it could track your location because every time you went past one of my beacons, the app would launch and could potentially tell me about it. But in this specific example, I've got them at one place. But this is the but this is the thing, right? And I I think this is the I think this is the key issue and why Apple's not going to change the their ruling on this because you just look you look at the way that like people misuse things like the ability to change screenshots, change yeah. descriptions and so, stuff. So and what, what their, s- their thing was to lock it down and say no, you can't change it unless you're actually uploading a build. It, it's the sort of thing where it only takes one person to do it wrong, like to use it for the wrong purpose. Sure. I, I Look, I understand. I just wish that there was some other way. G- given that this is the message that users get, I now wish that there was another way other than turning on location services to answer the question, is the user currently at the location where the beacons are or not? What else would you use other than location services? Um, the SSID of Wi-Fi networks. So there is a private framework that will tell you So there are apps the, out there that detect Wi-Fi. You can get the name of the one you're connected to. 
but you can't get the name of all the other ones. Except At least there is the a, official API. Yeah, right. So there is a of private is library one. on the device that will give you the, the others, but you'd be rejected if you used it. As far as I can tell from my use cases, before the user ever arrives at the location I'm interested in, I have to ask them to allow location services so that one day when they do arrive at that location, I can tell that they're there. And that kind of feels a bit... Mm. If this was the way that it worked and you actually did ask for permission, so you just basically say, hey, look, uh, we just like we would like to know your location so that if you arrive at the gallery, we can give you a, a tour yeah. of the library. And then you have a button, something like, yeah, let's allow this or something. Yeah. I, don't know. I, like, I like having kind of yeah. conversational messages. But you, they press that button and, and that's what gives you the ability to actually request that. That yeah. gives you the dialog box, right? Yeah, that's my plan. Yep. Then the biggest issue that you have is the fact that iOS 8 now prompts people so like once it, once like they've it, had the app installed for a couple of weeks, yeah, it prompts them it just, even though without having launched the app, just you you unlock your phone, yep, and it, you know a UI alert comes up from the system saying just a reminder this app has been using your location in the background. Do you still want to allow it? Yep. Yes, no. So the problem uh, is that, that context you, is gone. Yeah, the two problem weeks is, later. is that 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 notice is coming up even though you haven't actually been using the location. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. and so then three, two or three weeks, weeks after having used this app for the first time, they'll go. Huh? They said they were only going to use it if I ever came to the gallery. Why has it been tracking my location? Okay, so that's the, that is the problem, and that is this thing that I think maybe you could possibly get that we could get Apple to change. Maybe not us personally, but you know that could be something that Apple maybe, could change. Maybe I should file a bug. But I don't think they're answer. ever going to allow you to have a separate permission for monitoring beacons to location services. Okay, because that's the biggest problem, right? It's not actually the fact that you're monitoring location; it's the fact that the users are being prompted with a message that doesn't actually relate to what's actually been happening. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not ideal, and no. that couldn't possibly be fixed. But we won't dwell on that. I won't harp on about it any longer. Yes, we, we've been we've already talked about that. It'd be pretty limited the tracking you could do by putting beacons on every street corner because you can only I, monitor I know, for. But like the, the thing is, is that if a person puts a beacon out. They know where that beacon is. You could is, do it in they a can town. Know, and they could tag that, that beacon in some, some fashion. Like, it doesn't take much. Oh, for like, sure. I'm just saying you'd run out of beacons before you could cover even a city, probably. Yeah. But, I mean, the end result is that you could be, like, people could know where you are. And that is that is what location services is about, is knowing where oh, yeah, no, no. are. I, I think I, I think it's complex. It's And it's not just this, and it's not, not just iOS, and it's not just beacons. Um. I went to an interesting presentation from being based in Canberra here. For people that might not know, it's the sort of capital of Australia. There's lots of government. So I went to a presentation where people, government people were talking about mobile apps. And um, one of them made the point that they'd received a whole heap of complaints about an Android app that um, allows you to submit claims for um, government sort of rebates and assistance for visiting the doctor. You take a photo of a receipt and you send it in and the government pays for some of it. Um, and the complaint was that the Android permission, when you install it in the Google Play Store, says this app can use your camera at any time, even when you're not using the app, to take pictures without letting you know that it's done so. Um, and everyone's like, "Why do you want to use my camera when I'm not using your app?" Yeah, and, see, th- this and is they the didn't thing. at all. It's just yeah. that in order to use the camera functionality at all, you yeah. need to tick that permission yeah and the way it's described to users is in the worst terms possible it's like if you're the dodgiest developer in the world this is technically what you could do yeah with this permission and it just feels like um this is a complex issue of how you like siri i completely your point is well made that um 
if it's technically possible, then you can bet there are dodgy developers out there doing exactly the worst case scenario. Yep. So Google and Apple would be remiss not to warn people about what was possible with certain permissions. But it's like this huge, big, like as soon as you say, okay, I'm going to access contacts or I'm going to access the camera, then suddenly... Yeah, but locate, like I can understand that, right? The, the camera thing, like why isn't there why isn't there some sort of permission that you can use that just allows you to like set allows you to use the camera only when the app is in the foreground not the background yeah and maybe, therefore and maybe there is and these people just didn't tick the right box or... maybe but that seems like something you could actually delineate mm. and it would work uh when you're talking about like dele- delineating beacons and like uh from from location services i can imagine that Allowing you to use things like in the foreground as opposed to, as opposed to the background is something that you could possibly delineate. So, yeah. an app can use can detect beacons only when it's in the it's foreground. But I mean, that's a a that doesn't work for your particular actually use case. Actually, probably will, and that's probably what we'll end up doing. It just means that you won't get if if it can detect them in the background. Um, firstly, it doesn't actually do any more in the background than your device is already doing, so it's not draining your battery anymore. No. Um. And it could like welcome you to the gallery because you can yeah, get a push notification or something. It allows you to wake the app up. Yeah, I think to read your monitor for beacons, you need to use the always. Do you? Like, it's not a matter of only allow it when in app or always. Right. A lot of yeah, the but... core location APIs are just you have to use the always. Yeah. So yeah. that's the problem. And so you're still going to have to pop up that box. Yeah. So that's the only that's the only fall down like kind of point that you could where they could actually make these delineations, but allowing like a delineation between beacons. And GPS, it's not going to oh, happen. No, and I'm not advocating that. I was, you know, moving on to just this issue of no, no, I know the descriptions are so broad that users are led to believe the worst. There can, there could be delineation in some of these permissions, and I think like that's actually something that maybe could be worked on. It would be nice to be, have been worked on, but there's only so many ways that you can actually delineate that 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 make them useful and still secure. And there's an open question as to whether anyone reads any of it anyway. That's true. We've talked about about that before. So, speaking of Swift, yes, I still love it. See, we had this conversation. <laughs> we had this conversation two weeks ago when we recorded with Craig, and I cut it out. And <laughs> so I'm repeating myself. <laughs> no, but um, Xcode just got updated, and apparently it's way better now. SourceKit doesn't crash all the time, and error messages are getting better, or so I've been told. Well, I I assume that it's going to get better over time. But a lot of people have been turned off by the fact that, the, like, by things that we talked about last week, when it got, it got cut, uh, and the reason that we got it got cut is because a lot of been people have been talking about these things. So don't really need to cover them here. But things like you know the bad debugging and the crazy error messages you get that are just are like characters and characters of random characters, mm. Mm. and just and know, they fill my entire twenty-seven inch screen. Yeah. The error is the width of my screen. So part of the part of what we were speaking about last week, and it was a quite a quite a fair chunk of it, was just that a lot of people aren't using it because it's just not fitting their purposes. Yeah, I'm I'm using it lots and continuing to enjoy it more and more as I use it more and more. To be fair, you kind of you are the sort of person that gets into something and then really gets into something. <laughs> you either really love something or you really hate something. So that's okay. You're allowed to like Swift. Love Excellent. Swift. Thank you. I'm, and not, I'm not sure. And auto layout. I love storyboards. <laughs> and I'm starting to love auto layout. I find auto layouts, it's kind of like a little logic puzzle. Like solving all of those constraints, going, getting the orange yeah. and red ones to go away and turn I've blue. been finding that too. It's like, I'm it's finally just starting kind of very to therapeutic. Get it. 
Yeah. So let's focus on Swift because um, <laughs> we've been very we've been very all over the place so far. So let's let's get some let's get some focus going here. Look, all I wanted to do was to pass on the fact that I just wanted to state for the record that I'm using it and enjoying it because I've heard on other podcasts um, people suggesting that Swift is falling out of favor. That there was this huge sort of burst of enthusiasm, initial enthusiasm when it first came out, and of late people seem to be. Not not embracing it so right, much. which is what we talked about last week. Yep. And so I just wanted to make, for the record, at least one developer here. I am using right. it and enjoying it, and right. perhaps there are others. Like it could be that people Maybe. that are using it are just getting on and using it. But see, the thing is, is that like if it is falling out of favor, I mean, that doesn't mean that nobody is using it. It just means that less people are using it in like production for production purposes, or, or less people are talking effusively about it and are just getting on and using it quietly. Yeah, that doesn't really, it's not really how it works. People actually do talk about the things that they're using. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I just wanted to state for the record I'm using it. And uh, for anyone else who is also using it, I wanted to share a few little things that I've learned and potentially ask for whether I'm on the right track or not. Sure. So something I noticed early on when I started using Swift and has continued to sort of bother me a fair bit is the extent to which my code ended up being a whole heap of nested if lets when you when I was unwrapping optionals. So basically to recap for those people that haven't been following Swift so closely, an optional is um a variable that can either have nil or a particular type. Um and you unwrap it, you get rid of the possibility that it's nil and end up with a variable that you know has a value of a certain type. Um and so say you've got three or four variables, all of which are optionals and you need to, for all of them to be non-nil in order to, say, call a method that takes them as parameters, you'd have to somehow deal with their optionalness. And so the way I had been doing that was to say, you know, if let name equals name, that would unwrap the name optional and only assign a value to it if it was non-nil. And then inside those braces, I'd say, if let address equals address, and then so couldn't you just do like if let name equals blah 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 and if let address equals blah 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 no they get too you, long and i don't think you can chain i think an if let is a special um statement that Ooh. simultaneously assigns like unwraps an optional and has a condition you can test i don't think you can use other logical expressions like you can't then or that with something else as far as I can know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but, but I've tried to do be... it and it hasn't worked. Um, yeah, but Swift's buggy, so, <laughs> so maybe, maybe <laughs> if I've got my understanding wrong and someone knows, please correct me. Um, but what I ended up finding that you could do is to use a switch statement, so you can switch on a tuple, and then you can have a use pattern matching in the case statements. So one of the cases can match a pattern where each of my variables has some value. And the syntax for that is dot sum, and then in parentheses you say let variable name, and it will only match that if that variable has some non-nil value. Right. And so I could have a single case statement that says, okay, the case is all four of these variables are non-nil, call the method that takes them as parameters, and then the default case is do something to you know, log an error or deal with an error situation where I've got something that's nil when I'm expecting it to be non-nil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that seems to be, yeah, it's so much more, especially if you've got more than one or two variables, 
um, it ends up being much more concise. And it's even more concise than doing the let, if let blah 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 and blah yeah. blah 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 and, blah. And it's more flexible because yeah. you can have more different case statements to respond to whether certain variables are nil. Like you might be okay if three of the four are nil, and the fourth one you've got to you use a default value for or something. Um, so, so I saw a um, I saw another version of that dealing with the same problem. And it was a very different way to do it, actually. So it it took the functional thing to the whole next level. And I'm actually not sure if I liked it or not, because I found it almost unreadable. But I think that's just because I don't really understand functional programming. But it takes each variable, puts it in a closure, and then the closures... I'm going to have to put a link in the show notes for this because it's going to be impossible to explain. But basically, Oh, I think I saw that as well, like last week or something. Yeah, it puts every variable in a closure and then filters or maps them or something into another closure where you can then use them. And so it sort of unwrapped the nested ifs into lines. So instead of a com- constantly indenting block of code, you got at least got a block of code that was all straight. So straight down the left-hand side of the page and then just one place where to use it. But I'm kind of keen to see them both now because your one sounds way better. I mean, not as functional, but much cleaner. Yeah, it seems to. And I can't take credit for it. I found it somewhere. Stack Overflow, maybe. To be fair, I don't. I don't know that functional, like do it going full functional, is necessarily the way to go. But that's just me, and I'm cynical about a lot of things. Well, so I keep. I'm continuing with my mission to try and learn a little bit more about functional programming. Um, I'm not doing very well on that mission. I have, however, started to use. So, um, I did find the filter function, which is one of the built-in functions in Swift mm-hmm. for dealing with arrays. Um, I found that as a handy way the other day. I was trying to remove some objects from an array. And I was getting myself into it, the biggest mess because I realized that you shouldn't mutate an array while iterating it. Yes, that's, that's bad, bad in Objective-C as well. Just loop backwards. It works perfectly okay. That's the other trick. Yeah, I could loop backwards. Start at the end and go, that is and go backwards, and then you can delete. If, the, if, you, if you're trying to delete. Um, I was trying to delete. But filtering... Um, is good because I could write uh, my array, whatever it was, uh, just to have a filter method or closure that basically was a single statement that succinctly expressed the condition I wanted satisfied for each element. Um, And then it would just return an array containing only the ones left in it that I wanted. So you know that you can do that in Objective-C as well, right? You can there there are there are methods in Objective C on arrays that allow you to filter stuff with predicates and blocks. Yeah, it's like array by. So you can do either a filtered array with by by predicate or with predicate or something like yep. that, uh, and so that lets you provide a predicate. Yeah, which you would like, which is kind of I guess like using um, core data stuff. So filtering yep. by predicate the same way uh, that allows you to if you've got like a value like a key key value type thing you can test whether or not it's you know a flag is set to yes or whatever uh or whether you know a string is equal to another string or contains another string or whatever yeah um but you can also do you can also do filter filtered array with with block yeah with comparator uh, is it or yeah something something like that I can't, I can't remember the exact uh terminology i will throw the nsra section on this into the documents into the show notes but yeah you can use a predicate which allows you to do stuff with code i actually use this in gift wrapped now with the with the uh library search the library filter cool 
which actually uses the filtering stuff. Yeah. And it basically uh, takes the value of the search field and checks the like the uh, actual name of the file and uh, filters it down and basically repl- replaces the internal uh, file array or the externally visible file, file array uh, with the with the filtered down version. Hmm. Cool. Nice and quick. We should um try and do a side-by-side of how you'd filter in Objective-C and how you'd filter in Swift to show the that you can do the same thing and the syntax is different. Well, we can we can put a we can Gist. put a gist together. Just let's do it. Yep, one of those two things. Um, this highlights to me one of the things that I like about Swift is that for some things like that, the syntax is a little bit more succinct because with closures, if the closure is the last argument to a function, then you don't need to include it within the parentheses when you're with all your other arguments. But you can just uh, do what's called a trailing closure, where you just open a brace and close a brace, and whatever's inside those braces is the yeah. Closure. It's kind of like that. That's actually kind of like um, using using uh, um, un, not undefined, unnamed functions in JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't know why that. Like anonymous functions in yeah. JavaScript is what I, yeah. the word I'm looking for. So yeah, you do the same thing. And furthermore, if that closure um, consists of only a single line, like might be the case in a filter function. Yep. Then you don't need to explicitly return anything. You just implicitly will return the result of the statement that's on the single line. So you can have like a, a single line, basically, um, array dot filter open brace your statement close brace. Really succinct. However, um, this also <laughs> this feature. I'm putting uh, inverted commas around feature here of Swift um, has caused me hours of banging my head against my keyboard trying to figure out what on earth is going wrong with code that I was writing. Have you broken your keyboard yet? No, I've broken my head. Um, because if if you've got somewhere else where you've got a closure that's only a single statement, it will implicitly return. And so um, I was writing a UI view animate with duration uh, mm-hmm. implementation. And my animate with duration closure consisted of a single statement. And I was getting syntax errors. Oh. Like my compiler was complaining. It just wouldn't compile. And I'm going, but what? I just copied and pasted this from the re- reference. It's exactly right. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I've got one of the arguments kind of wrong. It's the wrong type. It's, but it's returning. But it's because my single line. So if I, if I just added a print line so that there were now two statements in the closure, no longer have a compile error. Well, could you not like re- put a return afterwards or something? Well, so no. The point is that um, a UI view animate with duration closure is not meant to return anything. Yeah, so you just put a return, return nothing. Oh, just the word return. Just return. Yeah. Do you have to explicitly set the closure type to return void when you declare it? Like maybe that's the other way around it. Maybe that is the other way around it. Because I think I had that problem the other day, and I've you've only just explained to me what it was. Because I didn't make the connection. I was just like, what is going on here? Oh, I give up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it took me ages. It took me so long. I gave up. I just kind of assumed that it was something in my understanding of Swift syntax that it was failing and and or a bug in the compiler. And so I'd just work around it. And then eventually I clued on to the fact that if I had two statements in there, it was working. If I had one, it didn't. And I remembered this whole implicitly returning for single statement closures as a convenience, which is fine until it's not convenient 
Isn't it funny how when you do something with something new, you instantly blame the new thing and not yourself? Like I had the same thing when we were doing yep. Xamarin. Anytime something went wrong, I'd be like, God, Xamarin, yep. this is so annoying. And it's just like, I've stuffed yep. up. Nothing wrong with Xamarin. And I do the same thing with Swift. As soon as I hit a bug, I just go, ah, Swift, so annoying. <laughs> I kind of, I have this simultaneous multiple blame feeling where I go, it's uh, it's stupid Swift. It's either broken and buggy or it's too hard to understand. And that's why I don't understand it properly. <laughs> so I kind of ca- cast the blame yeah. in all directions and just get It's never your fault. <laughs> um, while we're talking about Swift, I think I've got one other little Swift thing I wanted to This is going to be all about Swift. Excellent. No. So the problem I was trying to solve in this situation was where I had a um, uh, I was doing a collection view cell, um, and in my collection view cell, uh, you'd set, give the cell an index of the element that it was to display, and it would trigger an asynchronous task to go off and get the details for that thing, including downloading an image for that thing, and then eventually the image download would finish, and I wanted to assign the result to the image view, but only if that cell was still being re, re, still being used to represent the same thing. So with cell reuse, it could very well be that someone was scrolling through the collection view, cell comes onto screen and it kicks off this process, and by the time it finishes, the cell's off screen and now used for something else. So are you not cancelling? I wasn't cancelling because um, I wanted to cache the image download. Like if the download was part the way through, I'm like, let it finish because they're going to scroll past this again. I wanted a conditional statement that basically only assigned that image to the image view if the cell was still representing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, well, I know what index um, was assigned to this cell when I first started loading the stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll just check to see if if the cell still has the same index. Now I'm in the completion block of the image download. Um, but that means I need to refer to a variable outside of my closure whose scope was captured. And by default, so in my case, it was just called item index and it was a property of my cell. Um, but by default, you know, Swift closure, that variable will have its new value, not the value that it had when the closure captured scope because it's an object are you storing an index path uh no i think it's just an index i don't think it's because oh maybe i was storing an index path it's meant to copy a copy primitive. A primitive and i yeah. thought so i think maybe it's non-primitive because what was happening was certainly happening is that it had its new value so my conditional would always be true okay and so swift has a thing called capture lists where you can include a list of variables in square brackets at the start of the closure and it will capture the values of all of those variables rather than by reference. So if there's an instant, a case where you want, when that closure eventually runs, for that variable to have the value it originally had when it was captured, um, you can include it in a capture list. So you could, this is, this is kind of a workaround for the whole thing of like capturing a strong self type thing, right? Like it will, it doesn't capture it in a way that, it's going to cause you problems, memory problems down the road. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I put a link in the show notes to an article about capture lists where I heard about them. That's all I got on Swift. Good. Only because we have another topic that I'd like to get to that is somewhat, you know, and if, uh, if Swift is falling out of favor, then we've just, we've just recorded a podcast that nobody wants to hear. 
<laughs> well, everyone should, because it's awesome. We can we can start a new podcast, Swift, Swift Monthly. Couch. Swift Monthly. Swift, an- Swift Annual Update. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. We could just yeah. move, yeah, edit the show, move all the Swift stuff to the end. And put a little disclaimer. Well, maybe what I'll do is I'll end up ca- I'll end up cutting some of it out and just putting it in its own separate little oh, thing. Thank you again. Two <laughs> weeks. <ago. laughs> Accidental Swift podcast. <laughs> that that'll teach me to mention Swift ever again. Sorry, I thought we talked about programming on this show. I'm joking. So right. Feel the pressure. So how about that Objective C? Eh, <laughs> that's a pretty favourable yeah, language. It's, it's awesome. So amazing. Uh... <laughs> Now let's let's talk about something that I think you and I both both uh, see don't see eye to eye on as well. Oh, let's yes. yes. Let's. <laughs> well, this is a, this is a somewhat interesting topic that, yeah. ever, that affects a lot of people. You're right. So Microsoft Open Source.net this week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, that's not uh, where you were going. No, I wasn't going there. That is not the topic he wanted. <laughs> but sure. Let's talk about .NET. I, I'm not sure that that. I mean, I mean, other than the fact that it's obviously going to make some changes to to Xamarin. I think it's awesome. I wish that Apple would open source. Well, I wish we had access to the source for the frameworks we use. Is the bottom line, and the fact that Microsoft have now officially open sourced .NET is only serves to remind me that for years Microsoft have provided people with the source for .NET. So I think there was this, some program where Microsoft developers, like if you had some highly paid version of their developer membership, they'd give you the source of their products, not so that you could use it to develop your own code, but so that if you were building an app on top of it, um, and it was a mission-critical app and you couldn't deal with issues, you had access to their source so that you could better understand bugs or what was going on. And that makes such a big difference. It reminds me... so. The nearest I've come to actually being in that situation was um back when I was using web objects. Um so in the olden days <laughs> Yeah, just do, you, do we have a sound effect for this one? Just accept it. Um there was actually rumors that Apple was gonna open source web objects. Uh and I think it came really close to actually happening. I never heard the it full came, story but it came it. really close to actually being talked about happening, yes. Just because it's been rumored, it doesn't necessarily... No, 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 I think... So, sure, I'd never got the full story, and I don't know what the full story is. I could be making this up. But my understanding is that there was a decision to open source it, and then the decision was backtracked on because people were worried about patent issues or, I don't know, intrigue, mystery, who knows. But the closest they got was um, they actually did a build of it at some point where they unticked the box that the Java compiler has. It's probably not a box, it's probably a command line flag that uh, obfuscates the bytecode as part of the compilation. So they removed that so that from that point on, the bytecode that was created could very easily be reverse engineered back to kind of a source that has the original method names and the original variable names that the programmer used. So you didn't get any of the comments, Hmm. but you could run JAD, which is the Java decompiler, over the bytecode and you'd get Java source code back which had the same variable names and the same method names that the programmer originally gave them. Um, so you could kind of get source. And the legality of that is there's a question over it, but it is interesting that there was a build of web objects where it had previously had an obfuscated bytecode and then there was a subsequent build where there wasn't. And it was incredibly valuable. The number of times, like, you know, you'd come up against a bug and just be going nuts about 
is this but is this me not understanding the framework? Is this a bug in my code or is this a bug in the framework itself? And then you'd run the decompiler and the tooling was really cool. There was a plugin for Eclipse, which was the IDE I used at the time called Jad Clips. And you could just command click on a, a method, you know, like you do to get to a definition. You go to the header file in Objective-C. Yep. And it would on the fly decompile that class and just give you the decompiled source of it. So you could basically step through the source code of the frameworks you're using. And the number of times you'd actually then be able to isolate and go, ah, yes, this is a bug in the framework. They've assumed that you're always running on Mac OS where slashes go one way and we've deployed to a Windows server for who knows why slashes go another way. And then you could actually submit a radar with the lines of code that were wrong and a proposed fix for it. Um, yeah, anyway, I'll stop ranting, but um, wouldn't it be awesome to have the source code for the frameworks we use? You know, like we were ha- complaining earlier about... Uh, Scroll yeah. views not having page width. But the thing, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, I think the thing that makes me so uh, reluctant to to kind of talk about it is that I don't, I don't see that happening. Like, I can understand why Microsoft has done it. Microsoft has been, I mean, they they don't they don't really own own mobile. So you think that because they're kind of irrelevant these days, then. They can afford to just give away their source code. I don't think it's so much that they're giving it away. I think it's more that, like, it, it's it it's it kind of belongs in the same camp as like they they do they're doing a lot of things cross platform now. And I'm not I'm not saying this is mm. bad, right? Like, yeah, by no means do I suggest am I suggesting that doing things cross platform and opening and being more open about stuff is bad, right? Mm. I'm very, very glad, for instance, that Apple has become a little bit more open, and I would like to see that continue in the future. But I don't see that going in as as full on as oh as no, Microsoft, Microsoft. I don't think there's much chance that open uh, Apple would open source Cocoa, for yeah. example. Yeah, and so I, I just, I, I guess, just wish that they did. I just, I guess it's just kind of like that, you know, wish in one hand in the other, and right. uh, sound effects, and um, I, I don't really, I, I, I just, I don't see the point. I guess I don't know. The other thing that interests me about the .NET news is, um, so C Sharp is a language that you, has some similarities to Swift. Um, it strikes me that the .NET frameworks might be a rich source of inspiration for people that are wanting to build libraries in Swift and want to think, see how problems are solved. How do you make use of generics as a language feature to implement, you know, an, I don't know, an XML parsing library or Whatever. Um, now we've got another spot we can look at for ideas, which yeah. is kind of cool. No, that's, see, that's cool. I can get behind that, but I don't. Yeah, they could. I mean, potentially people could kind of do a Swift implementation of some of the .NET base libraries. Potentially, I don't know necessarily why you would. Like Swift also shares some features with C Sharp, <laughs> but it's got some other stuff that's completely different. Hmm. So it might feel a bit weird to have like a Swift port of system.xml or you know yeah. some other .net library but the potential's there it's kind of weird ben do you have any thoughts about .net yeah i like that it was open sourced i had to click through it was just cool to i don't know take off the mask i used to do c sharp and so it was i don't know it was just interesting and i agree with you that um having an open source framework like one you use every day is so helpful when you can step through it I was the same with Cocos 2D. All the time I'd end up stepping through it and going, oh, that's the problem. And then you can just submit a, well, like fork it and fix it yourself and submit it. Yeah, and half the time 
was like, in great. fact, more often when I was doing that with web objects, I would realize that it was my understanding that was wrong. I'd go, Oh, I see yeah, what they're that's doing true. there. You see, of oh, course. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, oh, they expect this to yeah. be, you know, I yeah. would have a blank, say I would have a blank string and they would expect it to be new. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. That's a pretty contrived example. But yeah, you can just see that without having to Google everywhere. And it'd be nice to be able to have that sort of open openness. I don't necessarily see it happening, Luma. That's just me being cynical. Oh, no, no, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. I just, you know, still want it. Apple, Apple are, are like, have just kind of just creaked open the tiniest little bit of the doors in behind what's going on on Apple. And I don't think they like, they're not going to suddenly, you know, just go, there you go, here's everything in all its glory. Or just, you know, like, here's some of our underlying technologies in and all certainly its glory. Certainly not with. Co- co- I've heard Coco referred to as Apple's crown jewels, and I kind of think that that's that's how they view it. It's just, it's something that is a unique differentiator for their platform. It makes writing iOS and Mac apps so much yeah. different than any other platform because there's so much in there. Yeah. Um, well, this yeah. is it, it's kind of along the. Yeah, it's really. Good but maybe thing. you know, like maybe foundation. Yeah. Maybe they could. Yeah, anyway, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm dreaming. I think you're it both is, right. It I'm is dreaming. absolutely. It is absolutely dreaming, and you know, I I very much hope that. That I am wrong, but I don't think I am. It's interesting that Swift is slightly different, right? Because so much of Swift is actually written is the Swift standard library or whatever it's called, and you actually get some of the implementation details. That's yeah. right, isn't it, Ben? Yeah. Well, you can get them. I mean, the whole Objective C runtime is open source. That's true. Coco's not. Like, you can't get. You could, I guess, write Objective C things from scratch. You couldn't do much else with it because you don't get any foundation yeah, or yeah. anything like that. But yeah, Objective C is open source. You could always, yeah, you could always chuck a Lauren Brichter and write your own version yeah. of UI kit like you did for um. Well, someone's writing, someone's rewriting Swift. Yeah, did you see I did this? See that. An, an open I did Swift. Wow, well, it's Phoenix, isn't it? I kind of assumed that it's. I don't. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, it seems like such an undertaking. I don't like. I would love to see Swift on other platforms, um, but I. Th- think i'd rather wait till apple do it but maybe i just um not yeah. being fair on that project yeah well from what i read it had pretty mixed responses as well like some people thought it was a great idea and other people just thought why would you do this so what was that topic you actually wanted to well i don't we don't have, we don't have time to do it now oh but you're going to cut the whole swift section <laughs> no i'm not actually cutting the swift section right <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> okay I wouldn't have let you go on and on and on and on about Swift if I was going to cut it. Well, let's keep it for next time. Well, we'll have to, I guess. Because, yeah, we're running out of time. So, hi. You were listening to Mobile <laughs> I even to- I told you to do the intro. This is- I know. This, this is my own fault. You told me it wasn't cool. It isn't cool. It's so, so not cool. Yeah. This show is hosted by Ben Trengrove and Jake McMullen. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, this is episode 45. And, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to take a moment before we actually wrap up because uh, because that's what we're about to do. Mm-hmm. Now that we've done the intro, mm-hmm. we can wrap up. And I won't mention Beacons. So for we, we've been going, this show has been going for the last, I think, 18 months, longer now, actually, because it's, you know, late in the year. We've it, it, It's probably... You know, closer to two years than eighteen months, and we've done this. We've done this show. We've been enjoying doing this show. And it's not going to end. Like this isn't this isn't 
uh, this show is ending, <laughs> which is sounds one of the likes going into it. But we love doing the show. Um, that being said, we we also we also take care of all the all the details of doing the show. We edit it, and record it. But by we, you actually mean you. I actually you mean do me. all the work. I do all the work, and uh, I just show up and argue with you. Yeah, and talk about Swift and beacons, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, it, and it's it's been working. It's been working great, and we, I think we've, we're doing a, we're doing a great show, and uh, I I think that you know people enjoy listening to it. We've never really had we've we've never really had sponsors, and um, part of the reason for that is that we've never had the listenership for sponsors. Um, they they typically don't like they have they have levels that they want, and we've never we've never really gotten close to that. We have a small listenership. It's not huge. It's there. It's it's bigger than some, but you know it's it's a it's a decent size, um, and I'm not certainly not complaining about that, because you know we we love all of you, all of you equally. We have no favorites, except for you know that one that one person. You know who I'm talking about. You're my favorite. Um, <laughs> Are you talking about me? I'm talking to Ben. Oh. So oh, yes. <laughs> so like the the thing is is that like the basically the thing is is that we we'd like to do more with this show and um that that kind of entails a lot of things. So what we've decided to do is uh, is run a Patreon campaign just just you know to help us to help us uh maintain the show and keep the show going and also to you know allow us to do new things. So basically we we're not going to talk about it all the time. This is going this is kind of the longest thing that we're going to say about it but we're actually launching it alongside this episode so if you wanted to you could go to our patreon page which will be available from the website you can also go to patreon.com forward slash mobile couch i think it is we'd we'd love it if you if you uh backed us you got behind the show and showed your support um because just simply simply put we're not going to stop doing the show and we're certainly not going to stop doing the show if if you know we're only if we end up end up getting like five bucks, it's not the amount of money that really matters to us. We we love the show regardless, but we just we'd like your help, and I think I think this is one of the ways that we can do that. And there are a bunch of benefits that you get you get as for yourself, but there are also benefits that benefit everybody. So go go and watch the video. The video is great. <sighs> yep, it was recorded with before Ben left Canberra, and it was those were happy times. Oh, I feel like playing sad music. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yes, go go to, head to the Patreon page. We'll, if uh, it'll be in the show notes, it'll be linked all over the website. So um, please help us support Mobile Couch. We love we 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 love you guys. We hope you love the show, and uh, we'd love it if you helped support and take us to new new areas, new levels. So if you would like to read any of the show notes, such as our Patreon link you can go to our show notes on the website which are mobilecouch.co forward slash 45 so too quick mobilecouch.co forward slash 45 you should um do it in like really really slow-mo so that when people are listening to it at double speed it sounds normal speed have you seen videos that do that they're crazy yeah okay that's pretty much what you sound like all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to get in contact with us, we'd love for that to be the case. You can tell us all sorts of things, like stop stop Jake from talking about Swift all the time. <laughs> stop Jake from talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We don't want Jake anymore. <laughs> that should you be can... a separate Patreon campaign. <laughs> uh, <laughs> remove Jake from mobile couch. <laughs> uh, remove Jake from the couch. <laughs> you can send us an email at hello at mobilecouch.co or you can jump onto the website. That's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. That one has a form that you fill out and it sends us an email. Both go to the same place. We still read them. I probably reply to them if I have time. I try. I try. I do my best. You can also get in touch with us individually. We are all on Twitter. Not currently, but we, uh, we are there. Actually, that's what I've been doing. Uh, is that what you've been doing? doing? This bit? Yeah. Well, Jake is on Twitter right now. And uh, you can you say can, hello. You can tweet at him right now, Jay McMullen. That's J M A C M U W L I N. Ben, Ben is is there like a London Twitter? Ben, is there like a special Twitter for you in London? Yep. Hello, Governor. <laughs> yep, it's at Ben Trangrove. <laughs> <laughs> That's B E N T R E N G R O V E. I have a I have a pattern. For hey, um, how is London? Oh yeah, let's not let's not even bother like finishing the show or anything. <laughs> Sorry. Do the jelly bean soup. I didn't want to finish I'm, the show. I thought our listeners might want to know I'm, how how long well, it is. I'm jelly bean soup, okay? <laughs> okay Just in case anybody wants to wants to tweet at me or anything, you know, I'm jelly bean soup. Sorry, I just got to respond to my tweets. So popular. Jake is like the most popular one. I may have a uh... Tweeted Jake. Ben tweeted it. <laughs> so that you just yeah, you tweeted at both of us individually. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Yeah, well I'm on I feel special. Too. I feel special now. Um have we finished? Now can I ask Ben how London is? Yeah, I guess. But I I was about to say like see you later, bye. 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 How's London? London's a big place and it's always raining. It's not an exaggeration what they say about the weather here because I swear every single day it rains. Wow. Like right now. It's raining. And then you get, like, moments of sunshine, and so you go outside, and then it rains on you. But you're coming into winter, right? Are you coming into winter? You're in winter. It's winter. Well, no, it's not winter no, yet. it's not winter. Isn't it's not, it? Well, it's not summer here. <sighs> you're it's kidding only, me. It's winter there when it's summer here. What do you mean it's not summer? It's 35 it's degrees green, this man. week. It's really hot. I'll give you that. How can it not be summer? Because Summer's summer December. starts at a specific time. So hot. 35 degrees. I'm glad I missed it. Well... Coming back in January, so I'll get to experience the heat of summer go. then. This January? Yeah, what? apparently, apparently yeah, London didn't I'll get turn to out. see you. Oh. <laughs> no, you just come <laughs> back for a visit, aren't you? No, just for like a week or two. Right. I can't remember how long I booked. It's like two weeks. But I'll be in Sydney and Canberra. Just and long Melbourne. enough to get over jet lag. Is it just you or is it, uh, is it you? Yeah, just me. Just me. Oh. Is London more or less the same as, you know, like... Are there any massive cultural differences? Um, I wouldn't say it's the same as Canberra, but I also don't want to make any racial stereotypes. <laughs> like like Craig so last episode? Leave it at that. <laughs> what about the coffee? Can you make coffee stereotypes? I'm told the coffee in London is terrible. The coffee is yeah. terrible. <laughs> so you, you don't mind making those? I'm going to make a straight-up racial stereotype about coffee in that if the cafe is run by Australian or New Zealanders, it's probably good. If it's not, it's risky, <laughs> but it may still turn out okay. And all the chains are terrible. In fact, everything's a chain over here. Is Australian coffee objectively better, or is it just that your palate is so subjectively tuned to Australian? It's object- objectively better. Yep. I have been wondering this myself. Americans um, also don't like it. And I've it. even like talked American coffee. to people about this, and I'm still, I still think it's t- their coffee is terrible, but it, 
they almost like that. Like, that's what I mean. You know, like, they, everyone gets their coffee from Pret or Starbucks or whatever. Yeah. And they like the weak, weak, you know, brown milk flavor. Like, you know, there's just so much milk and yeah, so little coffee. And a, and a really big, tall cup. Yeah. And so when they try, like, a coffee like we would have, which is not much milk, it's so strong for them. And so they don't like it. And so the it's just breeze. It's not really coffee. Like, anyway. that's not, like, it. yeah, Starbucks is not really coffee. But they love that stuff over here. Well, Pret especially. Pret is like a sandwich shop that does Yeah, but even, even American... So I'm trying to remember the one that was big when and... I was over there. And it wasn't Starbucks and it wasn't Pret. It was... Even Americans that go over uh, there. Cafe Nero? Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. Even America. Cafe Nero is pretty big. There's chains everywhere yep. here. Yep, good. <laughs> Being completely ignored. Even American coffee snobs that go over to the UK don't like UK coffee. Oh, but so, American coffee's no good But American either. coffee is terrible. But no, that's because they like their filter mm. coffee. That's different again. So Americans call coffee, like a lot of them would say what we drink as espresso drinkers isn't right. coffee. because co- coffee means filter coffee. Or... Yeah. Coffee means filter coffee, so they don't like it either. I mean, you can get Americano, which seems to have different definitions depending on where you go. But here, Americano seems to mean long black, and then you can add a dash of cold milk to it. Whereas an Americano in Australia, I believe, means filter coffee. Could be wrong. Also, coffee's really expensive here. Like, really it's not expensive. $3.50. Or equivalent of probably five, five, six dollars a cup Australian. Do you take a machine over? Do, like, do you have a machine to make coffee at home? No, I keep, my plan was, my plan was to buy one when I got here. Cause I'm like, Europe, Europe, you know, that's where coffee's yeah. from. Coffee machines will be way cheaper over there. And my one was terrible. So go I to Italy like, for a weekend. Just enjoyed throwing it in the Have a weekend bin. in Italy. Go to, go to Italy and buy one of those little things that you use on the stove. They're crazy. Have you used one of those? I yeah. Yeah. Shows. I know the one you're talking where they do about. It like, yeah. Where it like boils up and yeah. then out and in. Yeah. Those are cool. Um, but no, so, and it, it crazy coffee machines strong. are cheaper here, but. The exchange rate and the fees kill you. Like, if you do a direct conversion, cheaper. But when you try and get your money to buy it, it kills you. Like, everything here is almost the same price, but instead of a dollar sign on the front, there's a pound mm. sign. So, effectively, everything is almost double the price, Yeah, which is killing me because I don't like spending money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's, that is kind of sad. I feel for you. 